0: this today. We're going to hear from our Lord about idolatry. We're going to hear from St. Paul about your enemies. And we're going to hear from Solomon and the Holy Spirit truly about the wisdom to walk in a world where such things are. That's going to take us from Matthew 22 to Philippians 3 to Proverbs 8. And it's all right there in your bulletin. If you want to just follow along that way, that's the easiest way. But of course, we're trying to start the habit of using our own Bibles or the Pew Bibles here. And so you can certainly open your Pew Bibles and start finding those texts. This brings up the distinction between the New King James and the English Standard Version. The Pew Bibles are currently English Standard Version. Our printing in the the bulletin is the New King James. And the reason is so we can study the difference. This is especially valuable if you picked up one of those English Standard Versions, Proverbs journals, and have it with you. As today, we'll look at chapter eight. If you have that with you, like that's a great journal to pull out for chapter eight today. As I'll be in King James, you'll have the ESV right in front of you, and you have notes beside you. Place to write down what was better, what was worse. I got to ask Pastor why he thinks New King James is hands down better. Right? And that's the goal of this, is to not just say, I think it's better, let's do it, but to say, I think it's better, test me. You know, test me. So that's all available today. You can flip through the ESV in front of you again. I got just my new King James with me up here. Uh, And from there, let's also remember and let the season that we're in lead us into these texts because all these texts are here to be an encouragement to we who are alive at the end of the world. Lutherans don't talk about the end of the world enough for how important it is to our dogmatics. And to basically everything we do, we tend to talk a lot more about things like law and gospel because they're important. But law and gospel, the fact that God has a condemning word and a saving word, uh, that happens inside of time and space, So law and gospel is not a framework, it's it's a word, it's a way things are said, it's an understanding. But time and space is more than an understanding, right? And so since we live in this place of time and space, uh, the power of that time and space to end is usually lost on us until it starts to in some way. We don't like that. But Christianity comes along and it says your entire life is at the end. Because he is risen. Hallelujah. And ascended to the right hand of God, fulfilling all Old Testament prophecy, most especially the coming of the Son of Man with the clouds, which, if you look at the text, is all about him going up. Not coming back. But he said he was coming back, and that's important too, which means that all that we have here is actually very, very temporary. And so the wisdom of the text today is going to be in that line. It's how do I walk in a temporary world? Huh? Or if you can just use the stories of the Bible, what's it like when you're not in Eden? How do you survive under God? Right? Or perhaps if you are stuck in the wilderness for 40 years, what lessons can you learn right. It's like that. All those pictures apply to our actual life right now, that this is Egypt. This is Babylon. Uh, We're right here in the midst of it all. And it's easy to get swindled by their stories. So the other question I would just throw out there today for you is this. Do you believe in the power of the word? And if I say that, how many ways do you think that could even be heard and understood? I know Lutherans have a really fast one, right? For us, if if we say the word in our dogmatics with a capital W, it means the Bible. And it's inspired and without error, too. Uh, Hallelujah. That's what we mean by the word, but... The power of the word doesn't always mean that to everybody who talks about the power of the word, and we don't need to go after every different option. Not all of them are wrong. One of them is this Do you believe in the power of the word, like of talking, or say of writing? Right? Do words have power when you speak? I think the answer is yes, right? And and if you write something down, doesn't it do things? Uh, Someone once wrote that the pen is mightier than the sword. That's about the power of the word. But then you've heard this one too, right? A picture is worth a thousand words. So which one's more powerful, the word or the picture? And I'm not asking about the Bible yet. But it affects what we think, doesn't it now? That's... That's the question I want you to have as you just look at the text today, right? Do I believe in the power of the word? Because if I do, it means that this book, no matter how it got here at this time in history is evidently from Jesus Christ, who's evidently alive and has promised that this is enough. You don't need me. You don't need some church body. You don't need anyone except for other Christians who also confess what this says. And God's promises; those people will not disappear from this earth, even though every civilization they go through will fall. They'll be like an ark in a flood. Or like a people wandering through the wilderness, or like exiles in Babylon, right? That's us. This is good news, but it, it does go with like the bad news of current Americana, like the state of our world power, sadness, right? Like that's just like par for the course, and it might get better. It might get worse. What matters more is do you have the wisdom to walk at the end of the world. Good days, bad days. Good days destroy you just as much, you know, maybe faster sometimes, yeah. So so here we go with actual text from Bible about this, starting with our Lord and the Pharisees who come to challenge him Uh, in chapter 22. uh, He has just more or less demolished their belief in their own system, claiming that he is or represents the king of something more and in that realm there's it's, it's not communism it's like in fact pure despotism like uh, like pure kingdom like there is the king and then there's everybody else and in that kingdom which jesus is claiming he represents in the name of god many are called that is many hear the words but few are chosen not as many believe the words. That's what he's just said during what we call Passion Week, because they kill him for talking too much this week. Right? They just they just can't abide it. <laughs> right? And and you know, look at Jerusalem right now and you can see how tensions get hot, right? So, so. Um, he's he's taking over by wisdom, and this is important too. The crowds are with him. This place is like the Super Bowl, right? It's just massive crowds, and they're following and hanging on his every word. And so, finally, this presses the Pharisees and uh, the. It t- says that the Herodians in the next verse, verse sixteen, we're in verse fifteen and sixteen of Matthew twenty-two. It says they get together to plot how they can entangle him in his talk. They understood the value of words. They understand no matter what somebody writes down somewhere, if in front of a group they say something that everyone thought they didn't say or think before, and they said it like they meant it, that'll change everything. Right? That's why public faces and private faces are the way we operate as people. We're never quite sure what the power of words in our mouth might accidentally do in someone else's mouth when they put a, a negative construction on it, right? When they they see it as a threat to them, and on and on we go. Well, this is clearly a threat, as they're actually planning to trick him, right? His enemies on every side. If he talks, they're recording it, and then looking for anything they can do to just disglory him in front of people. Uh, and they come up, and they they uh, actually let's skip ahead. Let me ask this question to you now. Verse eighteen. Look at that one. Uh, Jesus perceives their wickedness. Jesus perceived their wickedness. Every time I've read this before this time, this going through, I always kind of just assumed that was Jesus' superpowers, right? Like, like he had this sort of ability to like look at you and he could see through you into your heart, like like Superman, like x-ray vision, but to your heart. So that when anybody says, you can't judge me, you don't know my heart, Jesus is like, yeah, I can, right? And And I think that's true about Jesus, but I always just assumed that was what this was. And I'm not sure that's what this is. I think that's true about Jesus. He doesn't need to look at you to read your heart. That's true. He's God. But right now he's in a big crowd and he's having a bunch of people talk to him. And after what they say, it tells us he knew what they were doing. And I want to suggest to you that that's not supernatural power. He was just paying attention. He's just paying attention. And there's two things that are going to happen in line here. One is they're going to tell him how much they respect him. They're going to tell him how much they respect him in every way because they know he always tells the truth. So they are lying through their teeth. And so this is a pretty important question. Do you have the presence of mind to know if someone's lying to you? And that really means, do you have the presence of mind to know if someone's listening to you while you're talking? Or while you're talking, do you have to go somewhere else so you don't even know if anyone's listening? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever thought about it? I have to think about it because I preach sermons, and so I have to watch people who don't always listen to me. It's just the way it is, and sometimes it's a variety of different things. I don't take it personally ever. Um, I can't. That would be that would be foolish. You know, it's, it's this thing, right? Um, I'm trying to put the best face on this thing that I can, so I'm trying to understand, well, what does it take to keep the attention? And, and part of teaching line by line is because I realized it keeps your attention. Pretty straightforward. Right. Uh, And so, uh, well, let's keep doing that rather than go off on me too much here. Right. Jesus perceives their wickedness. He sees what they're doing through what they're doing. And what they're doing is talking and they say, you're awesome. So we're going to ask you a question we can't find the answer to. And then they ask him about money. They don't ask him to explain, you know, how the archangel Gabriel even got in an argument with the devil over the body of Moses. They don't even ask him that question. Or like questions like he asked, you know, whose son is the son of David since David calls him his Lord. Like that just stuns everybody, right? Because they can't even really read the Bible at this point. They have it, but they don't know what it means. It just rules to them line upon line, precept upon precept. Stuff you memorize and get over with so you can get out to the real stuff, right? That's the way their life is. And that is evident by the fact that they only care about the money. As if it matters at all. Because it doesn't. And that's where Jesus is going to just go right at them, right? He goes right at them. So let let them tie their own knot around their neck here, though. I told you what was coming. Here it comes. The Herodians and the Pharisees saying, in verse 16, Teacher, we know that you are true. And teach the way of God in truth. And no, no, they don't know that. They're lying. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. So that's supposed to be like, you're so dignified you won't change your answer. Okay. Um, well, they're pretty sure about that, I think. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And we can go off onto the distinction of church and state and how this text is used to establish two kingdoms, theories and things like that. I think you lose a lot of the wisdom here of what's going on because this, this really isn't about, you know, some Jeffersonian church and state Liberty thing. Um, This is about who controls tomorrow. And when the Herodians who represent Caesar, Get together with the Pharisees who represent well, the zealots, actually, really. Now they're not united officially, but Antifa doesn't tell you who they're working for. (laughs) Why would they let you ever know that? Right? So they get together so that either answer he gives, one of them can arrest him. And he just says, You guys are arguing over stupid stuff. Right now, that's my translation of everything that comes next, right? Why do you test me? Is how he said it you can hear that as, why do you waste my time? But it isn't really, why do you waste my time? And he's not just talking to them, right? He's talking to the devil, right? Think of the temptation, you know, uh, you shall not test the Lord your God. That's his answer already, right? Why do you test me? And what does it mean? It means, why don't you trust me? You just came in and you told me all this stuff about how great I am. And then you try to trap me in my words. Oh, you scum. Uh, and and they are they're scum they're wicked he sees it he sees their wickedness their lies are evident i want to suggest that's wisdom you can take from this text that you don't have to believe everything anybody ever says to you you don't have to no just because they smile and nod and seem like nice people people lie all the time you should not lie you're a christian you believe lying is wrong do you think everyone was taught that not everyone's taught that and some people are taught it on a relative level. You lie to protect your own, but you don't lie to your own, right? Thieves' codes and things like that. So, like, like, again, Christians are allowed to believe we live in such a world and then know that our Lord is able to perceive the hypocrisy, the two-facedness of the whole thing. And he proves it with his question. Show me the money, or, well, statement, show me the money. Yeah, what movie was that? Goodness. Anyway, uh, so they brought him a denarius. This is a, a larger small coin or it's not huge, not a talent or anything like that. As that talents aren't really one coin usually. The um, the it's a larger coin though, it's not as small as, as other others. And it has Caesar's image on it as they all do. And that's the most important thing. It doesn't matter what coin it was, other than that it was official Roman coinage, which meant it had a engraved image of the face of a man which to the Old Testament covenant is what Germans called verboten, right? And you know what that means, right? Forbidden, yeah? uh, taboo, uh, why? Because it's evil, why? It's idolatry, just don't do it. And that's that's like the Old Testament, right? And Jesus is teaching in the temple courts and he says, bring me one of the coins and they flip him an idol. Talk about desecration of holiness. Forget what laws you kept, Pharisees. Forget what laws you kept. You don't even see your worship in it because you just desecrated the whole place with it. You give it to Caesar. What do we want with that, he says, which is actually what the Pharisees should be happy about, but they actually love the money too because the money represents the power to them, right? And this is where picture worth a thousand words, the issue is that a picture is more immediately powerful than a word. A word is more enduring than a picture. and You know that because you got to really protect your photographs. Uh, Even art paintings can have people glue their hands to them until they are ruined and stuff. You've watched that kind of European news. Uh, So in any case, it's passing. It's passing. Uh, Whose inscription is this, though? It's idolatry. It's Caesar. And here's where today, if you can take some wisdom from today, it'll be to realize that we do it every week. And there's a reason why at St. Paul Lutheran Church, we don't bring the offering plate up here and set it on the altar. It's because the offering plate's full of little tiny idols. A lot of little statues of George Washington and, and you know, uh, what, Lincoln? You know, hopefully more, you know, Benjamins at least sometimes, you know. <laughs> uh, but all the same, we're not going to take that way that the pagans worship this life and put on the altar, are we? where Jesus rests according to his flesh and blood in bread and wine for us. You see, we collect the money. We got to pay Caesar, the coin, whatever. We can't be in charge of, if you ever get to be in charge of printing money, don't put a face on it. Be a Christian. It'd be amazing. You might get blessed for it. I don't know, but don't expect that. Expect that the powers that be who rule the language through monetary systems and language which means culture, right? All together, uh, that they're going to usually be pagans, and so they're going to have pictures of themselves or their gods, their fathers. It's always the same. Look up Shinto. Uh, they're going to have those on the way that they exchange value in life. And Christians are not told you're not allowed to live in the world. You're in Babylon. Do business in Babylon. But if you've got a special place at home to worship the images, right? Let the reader understand however you like. Well, that's something to be aware of, that the paganisms at work on you, at least insofar you perhaps aren't equating the power of the word with the power of the picture. And, and I, can, I can say this about myself and the fact that I do promote to you a comic book Bible because I know how powerful it is if someone thinks the Bible is boring to catch just one of those little stories and be like, wow, I was, that, was, that was better than the crud they're trying to sell me the next worldview on on TV these days. It's so evident what they're doing. So, but the power of that picture, I hope, is that it doesn't draw you into, wow, like I just need more pictures. It would draw you to reading the text, which is actually there in the, you know, the, the bubble boxes as they talk to each other, reading the text, having I mean, the text go into and come out of you again in life. And then there it is. There's the word alive in you, right? That's what Jesus wants. Render unto God the things that are God's. Trust not in the money. And let the picture always be a reminder to you of that's, it's an idol. It's very easy to see it as an idol and then not care, actually. (laughs) Oh, look, like God gave me all of these things. Other people actually worship in a way that desecrates everything. They put so much trust in this dirty paper that's gross. And these numbers on the screen, so much. And now look, God gave you lots of it and you know, it's all going to burn up someday or be worthless someday, but you have plenty of it today. Don't you? I mean, I don't think anyone here is going home today starving. If you are, talk to me. Uh, We have plenty of it. And what's it for? To keep it. it. Or, Or to use it for good. And so, if you're using it for good in a retirement account that brings a fixed income to everyone, that's all great. Don't worry about that yet, right? Uh, when the financial system's going ups and downs, you're going to have downs. Yeah? But don't put your trust in the financial system. Trust in the God who is bigger than all of it, so that no matter what comes, I again, mean, you're His, not Caesar's. You don't belong to Caesar, no matter what he taxes you with. And then you can go further with this and really see Jesus is saying, the power of Caesar is the power of the sword. The power of Caesar is the power to come and get it. And there's a whole history in America of that. I'll leave that for you to think about. You know, But Caesar's power is the sword. Uh, why do you let his story have so much power then? And that's that's important. The sword's not as powerful as the word. As the word. So from there, if that was too esoteric, I think the rest will be a bit straight. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 beginning at verse 17 is just straight exhortation for, okay, so what What then then, pastor? What then? What does that mean? Okay. Um, well, it means it means this. Uh, it means brothers, that we're all in this together. You know, chapter three, verse 17. Join in following my example. That is, there's a way to walk as a Christian and there's a way that's against that and it can be seen. Paul is a good example. If you would like to know, read about Paul, read his letters. There you go. He's going to talk about it. Um, and note those who who so walk. So see that what Paul presents in both Acts and in his letters is not just a theology about God, but a man who believes in God, who is very honestly enviable as a person. Like, I kind of wish I had his soul sometimes. And same for Peter, by the way, John, I mean, all of them, John's flying up high again, but Peter, I wish I had his soul a little bit, you know? Um, they got to walk in their shoes, and they give it to you with their letters. You know, so walk in that pattern. Verse eighteen: For many walk of whom I have told you often, and tell you now, even with weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. All right. So, as beautiful and as good and as true as Christianity is, there are those who indeed worship the money. And you can see it by their actions. You can see it in tempting you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking if you open your eyes, you'll see how disappointed people are with what they buy and how it doesn't last and how frustrated the climbing gets. You can just watch it in your neighbors, at the store. I mean, it's all over. It's a, it's a mindset in us, not us, but us. Yeah. So again, walk differently, he says, because those who are not of Christ, right? Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. Um, I just have to say the word pride to talk about glorying in shame. And that's an interesting thing on so many levels, going back to the first deadly sin. Yeah, But in any way, pride connected to worshiping your belly, right? It's about what you want. You have that animal nature alive, but you have the Spirit of God inside you. An on christian only has that animal nature. They only know what they want. Right? Uh, they're enemies of Jesus in this, and that they are going to build their own destruction. That's what wisdom will teach you. Jesus doesn't have to destroy them. They destroy themselves. Verse 20, our citizenship is different. It's in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior. So, so we belong to another world that is coming. Advent. Advent's almost here. It's coming, this other world, end times. Uh, and we wait, then, for this Savior, Jesus, who will transform our lowly body so it can be conformed to his glorious body. That's the resurrection of the dead. Right? So we look forward to that resurrection of the dead while we walk, knowing there are those who do not believe. Right? Um, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself, it finishes. That's the long and short of saying, you know, how does one of us rise from the dead? And the answer is, well, Jesus is God, right? By which he does all his works. That's how. But now, with just a few moments left, let's let's turn over from that exhortation to Proverbs chapter eight. That's too much of a left turn. I apologize. Uh, Trying not to be a racehorse, but I really want to get to this wisdom section. The uh, uh, starting at verse eleven, which in my Bible you can see verse eleven is actually part of a previous section. So there's a lot going on. Chapter eight starts, does not wisdom cry out? And it goes through a bunch about how wisdom is there and wisdom wants you and wisdom is so true. The verse that I think is the most important that we're not looking at is verse eight. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. Anybody who wants to know what St. Paul Lutheran Church believes about what the Bible is. Do we believe the Bible is true? Six-day creation and onward, flood, blah, blah. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. There it is. The Bible is without error, it says. From there, you should then believe readily a book without any mistakes in it that's amazing. I should read this book of wisdom without any mistakes in it, uh, because verse 11, wisdom is better than rubies. Rubies can get you out of lots of jams, right? Money, wealth, priceless things. Uh, But wisdom is far more valuable. They can't take it from you. They can't steal it. They can't steal. Well, they get you to listen to them long enough, they can. But in general, it's, it's kind of, it stays with you. It's like riding a bike a little bit. Right, wisdom's better than rubies. And the thing, all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. So, what is it that you want out of this life? What do you think this world's going to give you? What is it? What do you, you want to have yet that you think you got to have before you die? And do you have one of these honestly godless things called a bucket list? Uh, I, you know, <laughs> it's not worth it if you're a fool. Can we agree to that? Like, no matter what you have in life, it's not worth it if you're a fool. Like, I get a million bucks. Great. Are you a fool? an amen? Amen. Thank you. All right. So what you want before you have anything else is wisdom, because then you'll do the right thing with it. You see? And God wants that. He wants you to cry out for wisdom first, and then he'll give you things to do good with. But if you're finding that all the things you're doing aren't working, well, have you cried out for wisdom yet? (laughs) Right? Uh, cry out for wisdom, and then seek her. Uh, she dwells with prudence, right? And uh, I think there's a lot that could be said. and We don't have time to break all these words down. It's like a dictionary, this section. is so beautifully deep. But prudence, just note how that's a bad word in American parlance. We don't use the word prudence specifically, but we do not anymore use the word prude because we used it to get it out of existence. We made sure that any woman who did what Jesus said was called wise in a way that hurt her feelings so that she would do other things. And it happened a generation ago in its past. But notice that wisdom dwells with prudence, not apart from. It is imprudent to have sex before marriage. And the baby will tell you that when it shows up and you don't know what you're doing, right? So I mean, natural things are natural. They're obvious. Wisdom dwells with prudence. will teach you to find out such things, knowledge and discretion. That's actually the word framework or history. or It's, it's a beautiful word, mitzma. But verse 13 is straight to the heart. The fear of Jesus is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. So it defines evil for you, but I think Americans will have trouble with the word hate. That happens in the Psalms too. When David says, do I not hate those who hate you? But if you think about it, Hating those who hate God is thinking that those who hate love don't know how to love and you don't want to be part of it. That's kind of what it comes down to, right? And so here, to hate evil isn't to be a hateful person. Uh, it's instead to hate arrogance in yourself, I think, first. You're not going to like it in other people too. That's pretty easy, right? <laughs> like, But... but The the task for the Christian then is to see everyone else's arrogance as more important than yours, and your task to learn a little humility. That's to hate evil and the perverse mouth. Don't twist your words. Say what you mean. Do not say one thing and mean another. It creates evil. It twists our ways. Wisdom teaches us this. Counsel is mine. Sound wisdom is mine. She says, I am understanding. I have strength. Kings reign with me. And on, verse 21, I cause those who love me to inherit wealth that I may fill their treasuries. So we start with the end of the world and money. And then we get to this filling of the treasuries here at the end of Proverbs. And and it sure sounds like if you read that text, it really says, if you believe in Jesus, you're probably gonna have more stuff. I, can just, I don't know how to read it any other way, but I know Lutherans can't, can't read that that way uh, because we can only say that wealth means faith, right? Except that's not true. It's just our habit these days. When I say that, when I say Lutherans, I don't really mean Lutherans. I mean, what we see that says it's Lutheran that goes all the way to churches with female pastors and on and on, right? So, yada, yada. Our way forward in wisdom is to walk together knowing that the power of the word itself, the presence of mind to know whether you still have someone listening to you is the power to discern evil around you To repent of that evil in real time in the belief that God is going to give you enough today so that whatever you have, a big pile or a small pile, is good. Half full, half empty, let's share. Christianity explodes with the word called love or keset, mercy, loving kindness. And again, in that world, God gives you as much as you can handle. And if every time he gives you more money, you're going to hurt yourself with it. And he loves you. He's not going to give you more money. Good fathers know this, right? <laughs> I hope. Yeah. Uh, that's not what you would do to your son is give him more of what he's destroying himself with. Why would you do that? You know? So that's how God is with you. So he does plan to fill your treasuries. And it is not without your soul. Because to be a fool is worse than to be poor. So it's first about absolutely your soul being filled with the wealth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and God, his father in the spirit of truth. I bind into myself today that strong name of the Trinity as first what it's about. And then every other single thing you own, every other single thing God gives you authority over is now redeemed. So you can look at it and know it's going to burn. It's going to decay It's not going to fulfill its promises, the pictures especially. No promises fulfilled from pictures usually, right? Uh, That doesn't mean you have to burn it all down. It simply means, right, that you walk today as if the world's going to end, and so you don't need to, like, hoard any of it. You can just use it for good. Life in the end times, week one, we got two more coming. In Jesus' name, amen.